0: Good morning, have a seat if you would, welcome back to church, you all can open your Bibles uh, if you wouldn't mind Esther chapter 9, it's nice to see everybody on the other side of the polar vortex, I think we, you, should, you should look around and see if you see anybody that's missing and we'll form a list and we'll do welfare checks after the service, okay, that was a fierce storm. Early Tuesday morning, it was like 25 below outside or colder. I woke up, and there was a chill in the air of our home, and it was 2.15 a.m. On the day prior, I had checked our propane tank, and it was at 13%. You're not supposed to let it get that low, um, but I had uh, assumed. You know what happens when you assume, right? it was going to drop slower this year because it, we'd had a relatively warm uh, winter and I hadn't felt a need to check so I called the propane company and they were at 108 a gallon for the middle of winter which is a great deal if you need to know who's at 108 a gallon right now I'll tell you after the service and they said we're a week out but 13% should get you there and that was on Monday. Well. A A few hours later on Tuesday, I woke up in the middle of the night and and hear nothing's working. And I've got six kids and a lot of copper pipe in the home, and it's about 50 degrees, and I start getting a little nervous. And I called back the company at 2 a.m., and I got a voicemail, and it said, well, this is such and such company. We're closed right now, but in the need of an emergency, call Jack, at 715, so forth and so on, no kidding, like not an 800 number, and so I'm thinking, who in the world would possibly pick up their phone in the middle of, of, of the night in their bedroom at 2.15 a.m. in the morning, but I thought, what do I have? Well, I have a lot to lose, so I'm going to call, so I called, they're telling me to call Jack, I realize I'm not calling uh, customer service, I'm calling Jack's house, so I sensed our danger level rise a little bit because I, I thought we're no longer depending on some reputable company. We're depending on, on Jack and on Jack to be awake, right? So would Jack hear the phone ring or, or wouldn't he? So I called Jack. One ring went past. Two, two rings happened. And all of a sudden, uh, hello, this is Jack. I'm like, Jack! Jack! And I said, you picked up the phone. I said, I'm without propane. It's the middle of the polar vortex. What do I do? You know, I'm responsible for seven lives besides my own. Would you help me, Jack? And Jack says, well, I'll put in a ticket, and you'll be one of the first homes we fill up in, in the morning. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean morning? You mean like 2.30 a.m. morning, right? That's what you're referring to, Jack? He said, no, I mean the morning. I said, Jack is 35 below outside. On the other side of my wall, stuff's dying. Like, that's not going to cut it. And so he says, rest assured, if you'll just stay warm, the house temperature won't drop as fast as you think. It's going to be okay. Let me walk you through a couple troubleshooting mechanisms, Jack says. So he has me outside. 25-degree below weather, pouring hot water on regulators on the propane tank on the side of the house. Nothing's working. I keep checking the furnace. It still uh, shuts itself off. Well, I call at 4.15 in the morning, 4.30, Jason Cavadini, because I know he wakes up that early. And I said, hey, you got any ideas? And he says, yes, I do, because his dad's a furnace guy, plus he grew up in the Midwest. I should have known this, apparently. North Carolina boy didn't know this. Check the air intake pipe on the outside of the house. It's probably crusted over with ice. So I put on my gear I went back outside. It wasn't 50 or 75 percent. It was 30 percent covered in ice. Took a broom handle, knocked it. Furnace. (laughs) Whole house heats. It was beautiful. Instead of having seven kids at 7 a.m. or six kids and my wife around a a little space heater huddled in the corner, we were moving back and forth throughout our house. It was was awesome. So here's the point of sharing that uh, story. Um, Realize it or not, we're leaders. Every one of you is a leader in some capacity. And you will make decisions, like I had to make that night—a series of decisions, that will affect people and implicate people beside yourself. Maybe your husband, maybe your wife, maybe your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers. And in Esther 9, we lean into a story. We've been on the story for quite some time of two powerful and significant men that I want to talk to you about summarily this morning. One man's name is Haman. He's from a family called the Agagites. You know that that last week or the week prior when we looked at this, he died in the story. He's a godless man. This is a godless family, a godless people. Not everybody belongs to the Lord. Not everybody is going to heaven. Not everybody um, has a regenerate heart. He's a bad man from a bad line. He's headed toward a bad eternity, and he's issued this decree. He's risen up in the Persian Empire to such a degree that he can actually take human life, and he talks Xerxes into issuing a death sentence for the people of God that on a particular day, all the people who love the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, would be smitten. And in a great reversal in a beautiful, providential reversal. The man who was high, Haman, was taken low. The man who was alive was put to death. The man who wanted to kill Mordecai, who would subsequently take his place as second in command, God-fearing, God-serving. The man uh, who wanted to kill Mordecai himself Died, and he was impaled on a pole. If you'll recall, in his own yard, in front of his own family. By contrast, the other man is far from perfect. But in a great twist of fate, and in in the great again providence of God, he takes Haman's position. He gets the king's signet ring. He becomes the king's power of attorney. He starts calling shots on behalf of the king. And while the decree to kill the people of God cannot be reversed due to some law of the Medes and Persians in that day, Mordecai issues a new decree that the people of God can defend themselves. This is where we left off last week. Why can't, uh, it sounds silly, why can't that law just be reversed and and save us from, from all this human suffering? Well, let me ask a similar question. Why did the British do gentleman warfare? I mean, that's kind of a dumb idea, isn't it? Just line up a bunch of people and exchange cannon fire? I mean, it's not very smart, okay? I mean, history is full of things where people did things in odd ways, I mean, down the road, it's going to be like, why did you use a rotary phone? Like, well, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen, right? I, I grew up using a rotary phone. You sit there. They put a couple kids in a YouTube video, if you'll watch it, in front of a rotary phone and, sh- and challenged them to find out how to use it. And in two minutes, they couldn't figure out how to use the thing. <laughs> it's amazing. So history is full of ideas that we'll later look back on and criticize because we think we we are, are smarter, more evolved, and, and so forth. But it's just the way they did it in in the day, it was a bit different. And so there are two groups. There's, there's God's people in, under Mordecai, and there's God's enemies under Haman. And every person on earth falls into those two categories, one or the other. They're either a part of God's people or they're a part of the enemies of God. And you may say, I'm not an enemy. I'm just indifferent. I'm just in the middle. I, just, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm unaffiliated. But that is just another way to be an enemy of God. Those who are lukewarm, the New Testament tells us God will what? Will spit out of his, of his mouth. And, and so in Esther 9, we find one of the most bloody controversial, painful, difficult, complicated sections in all of the Bible. For the first seven centuries of the church's history, not a single commentary by a person of faith was written on this book. I would imagine in large part because of its complexity. I mean, how do we theologically wrap our our minds around a bunch of people being Slaughtered, though in self-defense. So again, we're seeing great reversals in the text. I'm going to give you one main reversal this morning. We're going to look at two more next week for your consideration. And, and, and the, the one for this morning, and then we're going to share communion together, is this. You don't have to die with your family. You don't have to die with your family verse 1 of chapter 9 now in the 12th month month with month <laughs> in the 12th month in the month of adar this is an ancient calendar on the 13th day of the same when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the jews hoped to gain mastery over them the reverse occurred everybody say reverse let's say it again together, reverse. The reverse occurred. The people of God were going to die. Now they're going to live. They were ruled by Haman. Now they're going to be ruled by Mordecai. A big reversal happened. Church, our part in the story of God is repentance. It's humbling ourselves. It's confessing ourselves. Our sins. It's becoming selfless in, in in our life's mission. God's part is reversal. That's the part He plays. God can and sometimes does show up and change everything. Everything. I've told you before, but we have we have new people. My my grandpa was a smoking cursing sailor in World War II. knew nothing about Jesus Christ. He 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 was an enemy of God. He lived his life with with relatively no morality. And after the war, his buddy Red became a Christian. Told him about Jesus Christ, and it and it proverbially changed our family stars. My. My dad's oldest brother, Glenn, became a pastor, still a pastor today. Dad became a pastor after 22 years with UPS. Um, my dad's younger brother is still a cable repairman, but his son is a pastor. I became a pastor. I mean, it's just, it changed. and I don't mean to insinuate, of course, that being a pastor is, is the hallmark of, of Christianity, but I mean to say that it changed our family. It absolutely changed our family. Sometimes God does a major reversal. It's the same story with my wife, Shannon, and her family. Her dad, absolutely godless, was watching TV. Until I met him, I never believed that Christian TV did any amount of good whatsoever. (laughs) I'm teasing. I know it does, but I'm a bit of a critic. And my, 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 my father-in-law, late father-in-law, was watching TV and gave his heart to Jesus in front of the tube, just began weeping. And, and since then, out of that came my Christian godly wife. Sometimes God just does this big reversal of trends. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The cancer could be cured. Cured. The marriage could be healed. The children could return to be God's children. Unemployment could be rescinded. New career opportunities could pre- present themselves. Another million dollars could come forward in our project. God is in the business of doing great and mighty reversals. I just attended this Church Multiplication Network Conference. I was a part of the planning committee, and it was an awesome two days. Christy and Nick and, and Shannon and I went together, and um, the, the, the guest speaker from, from Springfield, Missouri, told a story about um, how his, his kids are learning to listen to God and hear his voice. As seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 11-year-olds, they're learning to hear the voice of God. And it reminded me of another story of um, a, a man named Peter Haas, who Nate and Rebecca know and, and Leslie and Dan know and others in this room, Rebecca and uh, knows and, and, and the Bowers know and, and others who, who left and went to Minneapolis. His daughter has a dream of a facility full of people. It's, it's kind of like an operatic look. It's a more historical building. Illustrates it on paper and says, Dad, God gave me this dream. This is going to be our church one day. And Substance Church in Minneapolis thereafter had an opportunity to purchase, what's the name of the building? Wesley United Methodist Church, in downtown Minneapolis, one of the most historic buildings in the city. And it's today, they closed on it within the last 12 months, it's today um, in in the hands of Substance Church in one of their campuses. God does great reversals. God speaks to people. And so, let's continue in this story and, and, and see what happens Esther 9, verse 2, the Jews then gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm and no one else could stand against them for the fear of them had fallen on all the peoples. This is is war. This is about to happen. This is the enemies of God's people attacking to murder them. Their plot, their plan is to kill men Women, children, and plunder everything that they have not only earned but inherited. And God's people are given, under a decree of Mordecai, an opportunity to defend themselves. The first act is murder, the second act is self defense, the first act is firing, the second act is being fired upon and returning fire. They're completely different. The people of God are not malicious. they would rather this just all go away. That's what they would rather happen. Verses three and four. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents, these are the political leaders, also helped the Jews for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house. Check out that reversal. For Mordecai was great in the king's house. Even the non-Jewish politicians are now with Mordecai. They fear this new power that Mordecai has been granted. And his fame, Mordecai's fame, spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. I begged you last week, men and women alike, please do not reject positions of power and positions of influence. Humbly accept them. Why ought we do that? Because somebody has to hold the position of power. Somebody does. Ought it not be people who worship and love Jesus and are convicted to serve him honorably and with integrity and character? And repenting of sin, and cherishing children—is that's what Mordecai is doing. Verse four, five. Excuse me. The Jews, these are the people of God, struck all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them. Some of you say, "I thought our God was a God of peace." He is a God of peace, and he kills his enemies, and that's when the peace comes. And sometimes that is the only way that peace comes. It's it's out of work, by the way, at the end of the world. We're told Jesus is going to return. He's going to be carrying a sword. He's going to put to death his enemies. And he's going to bring in thereafter a kingdom of peace that will never end. It'll never end. But it has to involve, at least in the beginning, a war. And they did, as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the city itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. We don't have a total body count, but this starts to give you a sense of how big this attack was. We're looking at a nation of some 3 million square miles. It's roughly the size of the United States of, of America. And we could easily infer if one city had 500 Deaths that there were many, that the count was very, very high. So make no mistake, there's lots of wives wailing at this point. There's lots of packed funeral homes. There's, there's mile-high piles, and, and people are digging as fast as, as, as they can. Verse 7, and also killed, and also killed. Now we're going to get a list of ten names. These are the sons of Haman. Parshan, Dolphin, Aspatha, Paratha, Adalia, Aridatha, Parmashta, Erisai, Eridai, and Vizatha. Your guess is as good as mine. The ten sons of Haman, this is what's important. The ten sons of Haman, who is the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on their plunder. Ten sons of Haman. That's what I want to talk to you about the rest of our time this morning. Here's what I see. And here's what I want you to see. Haman's life affected the life of other people. How he responded to the chilling effect of the furnace. How he responded to God's attempt to soften and humble him and warm his heart. I would hope we would not echo. I would imagine every one of you would have responded the same exact way that I did were your furnace to go out. I'm not exemplary in any way in that regard. You'd have found the root of it. You'd have had the problem fixed. But but do you give your spiritual life the same kind of care and attention as you do your physical life. Because attention to spiritual things isn't less important to attention to to encroaching physical danger and death. It's more important than potential physical death. The implications affect people beyond you your children your grandkids for an eternity how quickly are we to respond to malfunctioning furnaces and bursting pipes and how long have we ignored the threat of hell the threat of an eternity away from jesus christ Mordecai's sons were brutally executed because their father wouldn't repent of his sins and instead insisted on remaining prideful and arrogant and selfish and egotistical and stayed inwardly bent. Here's the great news for the heart that's willing to to bend itself out and to let Jesus in. You don't have to die with your family. You don't. Occasionally we'll get people who want to identify with the mill church, but they'll struggle with the fact that we don't have a cemetery on very rare occasions. But it has happened twice, I think. And they can't get over that bump. They just, they just wrestle with that and, and wrestle with that. They can't fathom not occupying a grave beside a family member, I, I guess, uh, due to the policies and restrictions of, of the churches of their mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers to only allow church members to lay beside the family members. I want to share this with you. <laughs> the church is not an organization of dead people, it's not. It's an organization of the living. We're not going to be in those bodies. We're going to be with Jesus in the air. So, what do we do? We say, find a cemetery where it's, it has a nice view and be buried there. You're not going to be there anyway. It's for your family, it's not for you. Haman's family line came to an end. It came to an end. The sons are dead. The family line is over. It doesn't have to be like that. I understand the sentimentality of family life on earth. Of course I do. I'd love to be buried by my wife and kids. That would be amazing. But I don't understand choosing a place of burial over choosing a place of worship in which you'll maintain a posture of repentance before God. That's what matters most. I tell people in basic process, we would rather you be happy elsewhere than miserable here. We absolutely would. If you're not growing in your relationship with God, because we mostly sing choruses and hymns are are what really grips your heart, let that weigh as a factor in where you choose to worship. Please, go to a place where you can connect with God, hear from God, commune with God and his people, but don't choose your place of worship which would impact people's eternity under your roof because of sentimentalities. The Bible says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Romans 12, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. I don't want to keep doing what I've been doing. I want to be different. I want things to change. And then then there starts to be a change of heart and a changed life. And what I thought I want is, gosh, it isn't what I want anymore. Man, I I don't just need to reverse what I've done. I need to reverse who I've been. This is a character thing. Haman never had an experience like that. He should have repented. He should have gathered around his sons prior to his execution. He visited his home before his execution. He should have gathered his boys around. And he should have said, I'm about to face death. Sons, listen to me, please. I've rebelled against God. I've been proud. I've been arrogant. And now everything is reversed. I'm facing death. I'm going to be crucified in the yard that you played ball in. Whatever you do, turn to Jesus. I'm going to be impaled in front of you and your mother, hanging lifeless from a 75 foot pole. I urge you change, repent. Don't go marching off to war to slay innocents. I was wrong. Don't defend the honor of a dishonorable man. Change your stars. Become a follower of God. He said, none of that. So his sons simply pick up his thinking. They pick up his attitudes. They pick up his motives and his behaviors. And the apple does not fall far from what? From the tree but it can. It can. God can pick up the apple. He can throw it a million miles from the tree that it fell under, and out of its seed, a new tree can grow. An honorable tree, a selfless tree, a beautiful tree, a shady tree with delicious fruit you can change your family and it starts by you repenting of your sins and saying I'm tired of the way that my family has looked and the damage that it's caused and me and my household we're going to serve the Lord from this point forward I'm responsible for the care of my furnace it affects more than just me i got to save my family from dying. You, You can be the first link in a chain that has had thousands of years of disobedience and start a chain that's had thousands of years of obedience. I met someone that did that. A great reversal. This week, I got to attend a memorial service for the mother of one of our church members, Bob Colt. Bob's mom's name is Pauline. She told me that she was not always among the living. She told me that one time she was spiritually dead in her sins that God saved her, that God did a great reversal in her heart and in her life and humbled her and that she repented, that after living life as a child, as a teen, in disobedience, she met the Lord and started living a life in obedience. And she spoke of this from her own lips as I sat with her and that one day she made a decision that life wasn't about her It was about others, and and she was forgiven of all of her past and future sins, and she became a woman of grace and of light and of positivity because God had opened her eyes and thereafter her heart, and such was the reversal of her soul that she wished she said, to die in the spring so that the grave diggers didn't have to deal with the frost on the ground. And now her children love Jesus. And now her grandchildren love Jesus. And all of them are missionaries. Some of them vocationally. God took the apple that fell from that tree and he chucked it. This may sound a little odd, but are you willing to be chucked? For the kingdom, not only for the kingdom, for everybody who's under your responsibility and your care. Father, Father, we see two polar opposites in this story. We, we see a man that resented your people and your ways and puffed up in pride and resisted. And he paid the price and his family paid the price. And then we see a man who gradually over the course of months and years yielded to your spirit, yielded to your ways. And we see that you through his apple and it grew it sprouted the seed did the tree became strong and he became very influential and so god we ask that you would throw us that you would those of us who came from from rough backgrounds those of us who have family members who don't know jesus Um, We're going to do our best. It's your call to reach people, including our family members, for the gospel. But Lord, we just make a commitment this morning in our heart, in our mind, that as for me and my house, we can't control much else as for me and my house. We will serve you. We will love you. We will treasure you. We will honor you. Lord, help us to figure out how to do that practically. Help us to to prioritize devotions. Help us to prioritize talks, hard talks that we ought to be having with our kids. Help us not to neglect and grow weary at six and seven and eight o'clock in the evening and give up on our responsibility to keep the furnace of our kids' relationship with you going and functioning and serving the house. Help us, Lord, to lead our kids to you. In Jesus' name, amen.